can't judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. We'll make you in Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so welcome back everyone. We are here for another episode and Kim, how you doing? <laughs> it's one of those weeks. It's, it's one of those weeks. It, it started out really good. It was uh, my bachelorette slash bachelor sh- bachelor shower. Yeah, okay. I just got showered. That's another Showered in bachelors. Showered in bachelors. <laughs> my bachelorette slash bridal shower mm-hmm. was this weekend, which was super fun. We did it back to back because one of my bridesmaids is from out of town, which you know. Yes, I you. do. But the listeners don't. The listeners don't. <laughs> Um, so because I am one of those bridesmaids, but I'm not the one from out of town. No, <laughs> local, local yes. strong. So that was really, really fun. And then I had to go back to work, and that was less fun. So yeah. you know, it's been eh, of a week. Well, we we did have a lot of fun. We did karaoke for the bachelorette, and I, I love. I haven't done karaoke since. Ooh, 2019. I love karaoke. A pandemic karaoke is something else, but it was it was good because it was a private party. But like yes. the whole like cleaning of the microphones in between. Yeah, and everything. there was like this weird wand that had like the UV light. Yeah, and I was like, I don't know how true this is. But we but, had another friend who was like, I work in a hospital. That's how we clean the instruments. So I was like, that was the only reason I believed it because I legit made a face when that guy said it. I was <laughs> I like, I'm sorry, your little light beam is gonna kill yeah. the virus. But apparently it does something apparently it does so that worked and that was fun yeah that was it was a busy weekend though Mm -hmm. and then same as you like i got back from that fun weekend and then it was like okay finish grading summer class get ready to prepare for you know the fall classes and i've got an office i love that you have an office listen i've never in my entire teaching career had my own office when i taught high school i had a desk in Mm -hmm. my classroom and when I started teaching college, I shared an office or a cubicle with other adjuncts. But this is the first mm-hmm. time I ever had my own office. You I'm can so go excited. In, close the door, take your shoes off, listen to chill. the sound of the elevator bank behind me. Yes, but it'll still be relaxing. After shut a while. the door. It's like a spa. <laughs> I have my own office sometimes. We rotate offices at my job, so so you have the space to yourself when you're in it. Yes. Got so it. I don't like. I, I, when I first started, I was like, I'm going to put pictures up. I'm going to have like little cute shit on my desk. It's going to be so awesome. And then I was like, oh, you're only here for a week. And then you rotate to another location. I was like, well, I guess I won't be doing any of that because it's weird. That's a bummer. Yeah. That's like what I'm looking forward to. I'm like, oh, I can bring in a couple of pictures. It's, I bought like a whole desk set. Like, I don't know who I thought I was. Like I bought a thing to hold pens and business cards. I don't have any of those things. Like, why do I need that? (laughs) Um, now my desk is at home and that's how I like it, but they're going to start making us go back in two days a week. Yeah. Boo. I am so excited to go back in, but we'll see how long it lasts. Hopefully with this Delta stuff that we can keep going back. I mean, I don't wish sickness on anyone. No. But I have been super productive at home and I had like a yearly review and they were like, oh my God, like your productivity, your my productivity, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My productivity like increased by two hundred and one percent. 
Like I'm stellar at home. Like I don't. Girl, you gotta pace yourself. You need to not set your their expectations so high of you. Well, I mean, it's gonna suck once it starts to go down. They're gonna be like, oh, yeah, we started to go back into the office, and you're not doing as well. Hmm. What's that about? Maybe you should leave me at home. <laughs> I don't need it. I don't need. She's to be got here. a plot, everyone. She's got a plot. Well, that's that's us. What about the world? So I found a tweet by Iggy Azalea. Uh, Iggy Azalea is a Australian rapper singer songwriter and model okay so yeah, yeah. Her from like her google but i only know her as a rapper so those other things are implied all right um but so she tweeted <clears throat> quote i really wish record labels would agree to make it mandatory to hire at least one psychiatrist per label almost every artist in recent times has expressed struggling with the level of hate and pressure sports teams do this for athletes why not music labels Okay, yeah, yeah, that's it. I can get behind that. Uh, yeah, me too. And so can this woman that I looked up after that. Her name is Tamsin Embleton. So I'm just going to read this straight off the bio on her website because it's so thorough. So after 10 years of working in the live music industry as a venue, festival, event booker, grants advisor, artist manager, and tour manager, Tamsin Embleton member of the British Association for Counseling and Psychotherapy, now works as an attachment-based psychodynamic psychotherapist. She runs a private practice in London. She specializes in working with musicians and people in the music industry at all stages of their career. From emerging artists to household names, Tamsin is currently researching the psychological impact of touring and will be using her findings to create a best practices document to support artists and crew with a myriad of psychological pressures that occur both on and off the road. All right. All right. Like, Impressive. Pop. That's amazing. Yeah. I, what a great what a great concept to to bring to the industry, you know, yeah. it just, it gives them this extra layer and, and they can afford it. They can absolutely afford it, especially the record labels. Like they put all this money into someone making an album and they get returns on that because people yeah. buy it and people buy concert tickets. So they definitely make their money on the back end. So why not make sure their artist is comfortable and taken care of? And that's really appropriate to this episode since we're covering Amy Winehouse, right? We're going to be talking about the famed singer-songwriter Amy Winehouse and all of the things that the the media, trash media, and even not-so-trash media trashily said about her. (laughs) You know, we're going to share a little bit about the Amy beyond the tabloids. And finally, we'll chat about her legacy 10 years after her death. Wow. 10 years, huh? Yeah, it's been 10 years. It's kind of nuts. So most of the information we got from the Oscar award winning Amy, a 2015 British documentary directed by Azif Apadeta. ABC News and interviews from The Guardian and another documentary done by Janice Winehouse called Reclaiming Amy. This one was more of a rebuttal of the Amy documentary. Okay. All right. Uh, Is there one that we deem as more reliable than the other? I think the Amy one is the 2015. Okay. So why, what was her mother rebuttaling in this? Was she just... There's a lot of uh, blame put on her parents. There's a lot of blame put on her dad. And her dad is a big part of the reclaiming Amy to kind of say like, hey, this didn't happen. But there's also a lot of things missing from reclaiming amy but it's good to get another perspective at least see where it overlaps absolutely 
All right. So Amy Jane Winehouse, born September 14th, 1983, died July 23rd, 2011, was, as we mentioned, an English singer and songwriter, and she was born in Enfield, the United Kingdom. She was world-renowned for her husky vocals and blended musical genres. She would mix together classic melodies of soul, jazz, ska, and R&B, while still keeping them modern. So listening to her music made me realize that I don't hate jazz. Like, hate's a strong word, but I no longer think it's stupid. Okay, that's that's good to know. Our musicians in the audience will appreciate that, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, Amy's talent was clear and hard to miss. In her short career, she won many, many awards, including six Grammys, a Brit, and three Novellos, a peer recognition award that's given out in the UK. While researching this, I googled and found some really terrible headlines. So I'll read some of them to you. Amy on crack. Tragic Amy's baby secret. That one was about how she wanted to have a baby and was having trouble. So they wrote an article about it. Um, Amy's 24-hour suicidal binge. Amy, too drunk to sing at concert. Amy, one demon too many. And the day she died, the New York Post trash which is, is trash anyway. Trash. Yeah. The headline said they tried to make her go to rehab. No, no, no. Amy Winehouse dead at twenty seven, coupled with a very unflattering picture of her. They're a trash paper, but they're even more trashy when it comes to their headlines. Yeah, they're, it's all attention grabbing. It's like mm-hmm. hey, buy this paper. It's like clickbait without clicks because it's paper. Well, I mean their website's clicky. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> this is before the time of websites. It was only papers. <laughs> it was 2011. There was the internet, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same it at wasn't. all. No, it was kind of a free for all. Like you could say whatever you wanted and no one was like, hey, that's not right. Yeah. Now you can say whatever you want. And people just yell at you, but also don't listen to you. That's true. Mm. All right, so one of the headlines that I had, like, an issue with was Amy Winehouse, the trouble diva. So I was trying to figure out if they meant diva in a rude way. So diva <laughs> is probably, right? But right. Diva is defined as two ways. One, a famous female singer of popular music. Right. Which sounds like, okay, that's perfect. But pair it with the word troubled. Yes. Mm. The other definition of diva is a self-important person who is temperamental, difficult to please, usually a woman. Of course, it's usually a woman. I, I also find it funny. Or it's that, a gay man, maybe. Yeah. That's, yeah. Mm. I think it's funny that those two words mean the same thing. I want to think because of the stories that they paired Diva with, it was definitely negatively implied. Yeah. yeah. No, that's the kind of stuff that gets you to click. I mean, when we talk about Divas in a positive light, there's very much a different language usage around them, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to say troubled diva and mean anything good by it amy was known to be very honest she was if she was bored she was gonna let you know if she wasn't interested she would move the conversation along if she wasn't a believer in wasting anybody's time the interviewers are her own making her come off as a bit rude brash or self-important yeah but you know she didn't have time for nonsense no i'm a i'm a big believer in that too like don't waste my time and i won't waste yours like i'm quick yeah yeah In the eye of public opinion, bad things happen to bad people, right? Oh, uh, 
if I'm a good person, nothing bad could ever happen to me. I would never be an alcoholic because I'm such a good person. Ugh. Amy wrote songs about drinking and sleeping with men in relationships with no apology. The media would say that she had bad things coming to her. You know, oh, if you're you're putting this out into the universe, it's going to come back to you. You're kind asking of thing. for it. But by labeling her as a bad girl, it leaves no room for redemption. When her drinking and drug use got worse, she was called a junkie. And I, I remember that, mm. like Amy Winehouse junkie, Ugh, you know, not a person who was out of recovery. You know, she was sort of tossed aside, thrown away. When she did go into rehab, then it became a concerned joke because once a junkie, always a junkie, right? It wasn't like, oh, yay, she's finally getting help. Let's encourage that. It's, oh, well, that just proves she's a junkie. That's why she's in mm -hmm. rehab. Like she can't hold it together. She's just such a mess. So there's this other idea in the media or in the spotlight that people who've risen to her level of fame should be grateful just to be famous. Like others would kill to be known and to get to make music for a living. The tabloids and the paparazzi are just part of the gig and you signed up for it. That, yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, I think completely now. But, I mean, but it shouldn't be the case, right? No matter how famous a person, they should be entitled to their privacy, mm -hmm. especially when they're dealing with huge life changes. Right? It's called compassion. But, you know, of course, <laughs> that doesn't sell papers, right? Not at all. <laughs> and it doesn't get clicks. So Nick Gatfield, the then president of Island Records, said... She was a complete force of nature. There was something about her. She was a very old soul in a young body. And, you know, I think that's an important thing to note that other people were picking this up about her. Mm -hmm. So we'll get deeper into her history, but Winehouse wrote the album Frank when she was 19. Yeah. Yeah. She was definitely an old soul, but she was still technically a young girl learning how to navigate the world and now the entertainment industry. She was notorious for having childish shouting matches with the paparazzi. They would hang outside of her house all day and just scream at her to come outside. But people in their early 20s, are they really known for being calm and level-headed when facing a bully? I mean, no. There, you reach a point where you just get fed up and, mm -hmm. you, you know, like... You're going to be standing outside my house the whole time yelling, screaming, like, I'm going to get pissed and I'm going exactly. to react. Yeah. And now there is a million cameras outside waiting for that reaction. Mm -hmm. There are people who are going to make their rent based on your reaction. So, of course, they're going to yell. Ugh. So let's chat a little bit about Amy Winehouse's childhood. You know, her dad, Mitchell Winehouse, was a taxi driver. And her mother, Janice Winehouse, was a pharmacist. Her parents, they, they had a terrible marriage. I mean, her dad had an affair that started when she was only two years old. And, but she was nine when they finally divorced. So that's a seven tumultuous years to begin with. Yeah. And her dad says that, oh, Amy wasn't really that affected by it. Yeah, he's a little oblivious I, to a lot of things. Listen, I'm sorry. There's no child who's not affected. Right especially at age nine, by mm -hmm. their parents splitting up. Yeah. So Winehouse herself speaks of starting to rebel when she was nine. What a coincidence. She was smoking. She was drinking. She was skipping school. She was hanging out with some boyfriend that she had at, like, the age of nine. Her dad wasn't there to tell her to straighten up, so she didn't. So I would say that, you know, 
the cheating and the divorce definitely had some sort of effect. Yeah. And I mean, not that you need a father figure around necessarily mm-hmm. to yeah. behave, but it's really bold of him to speak out and say it had no effect when yeah. clearly these behaviors became much more mm-hmm. real at that point. Yeah. There was very little discipline in Amy's household, and her mother speaks of Winehouse being a strong-willed child and that she was not able to stand up to her. So she got away with a lot. She's the parent. you got to stand up to them when they're really young so that it doesn't become a matter of standing up to them. It's a matter of parenting them. But I think how their house really worked was the dad was the one who was the disciplinarian and the mom was the caregiver. Okay. So once that split happened, now there's no one here to discipline me and this person will take care of me no matter what I do. And it kind of was a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And she was timid, Janice. You know, she, she was too timid to really enforce any rules. So Winehouse lived in a world with little to no consequence. If, if, Janice hadn't been the rule provider in the beginning. What's to make Amy listen to her at this exactly. point? Exactly. Like, she's not just going to start all of a sudden being like, no, I'm in charge and I make all the rules. And it's like, you haven't been. I've grown up my whole life with you being this certain way and being too timid. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to change now overnight. Yeah. So it was around that time where Amy was diagnosed with depression. Singing kind of became an outlet for her. So she started writing poetry, and later that got turned into songs. Nice. One song in particular is directly about her father and how his years of infidelity made her the person that she is today. But of course, you know, it had no effect on her. Right, exactly. <laughs> none, none whatsoever. I wonder if he's listened to her albums. He has. I can't bash him too much. Okay, he has listened to her albums. But the one song is called What Is It About Men? So I'm going to read the lyrics. I'm not going to sing them. You have to pay for Fair. that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it's terrible <laughs> if I sing. Um, emulate all the shit my mother hate. I can't help but demonstrate my Freudian fate. My alibi for taking your guy. History repeats itself. It fails to die. She speaks of hating how her mother was treated, but becoming just like her father. Her parents pretty much lay the, br- the blueprint for pursuing unhealthy relationships. Like, I'm not going to say it was 100% their fault, but our parents' relationships with one another are the strongest examples of how you should treat someone and how you expect to be treated. Her parents normalized cheating and doormat behavior, which will definitely show up in the future. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, our parents' relationship with one another, whether they're married or divorced, absolutely has an impact Mm -hmm. on who we are, who we become, and what traits we choose to embrace or not yeah right for better or for worse Mm. and then it can go either way or both ways like for me my dad wasn't around when i was younger and my mom had to figure it out do it herself so like that's kind of my mentality now is like i'll figure out a way to do this thing i don't need someone else to help me with it i can figure it out i i mean there are many reasons i don't have children but that that's one of them (laughs) Winehouse started to get noticed for her music at this point. She was chosen to be the featured vocalist at the National Youth Jazz Orchestra. But for her, this was just a thing that she did for fun. She didn't see a profession in it, right? When asked about becoming famous, she said, I don't think I'm going to be at all famous. I don't think I could handle it. I'd probably go mad. If only everyone else had listened to her, including herself. She said, I'd probably go mad. 
Oh, yeah, I don't do the accent. Well, sorry. if I did the whole episode in this British accent. And no. <laughs> no? Aw, oh, mate, I think it's pretty good. It's terrible. <laughs> so through a friend of a friend, she met Nick Shemansky. He was 19, she was 16, and he asked her to record a demo. Shemansky had just started working in the industry, and he was searching for new talent. You know, that talent that she didn't want to be, but okay. Winehouse's demo made it to the president of Sony Music Publishing, and in less than two years, she was signed and started recording her first album, Frank, which was released in 2003. And Winehouse co-wrote every song on that album. The title was an ode to one of her musical heroes, Frank Sinatra. The album did pretty well overseas, but she was still pretty unknown in the U.S. Yeah, that definitely says more about us than her music. I feel like it's a, a hard jump across the pond for music. <laughs> you love me so much. Uh, I'm going to leave all of this in. <laughs> Do it. Forget the blooper reel. <laughs> When did you first hear about Amy Winehouse? Or did you? Like, do you, do you know about I mean, probably when she was, like, being sent to rehab and stuff. Like, I... I'm, the next album. But to be fair, like, I was never really good at following a lot of music, especially in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. That, that first decade of the 2000s, I kind of, like, blank on a lot of music. So I was, like, really into music at this time because I would get ready for school and I would watch uh, VH1, like, early morning hits or whatever. And they played, like, music from new artists, like, all the music videos. So back when they still put music on yeah. music television? Yeah, and I would just be getting ready for school, and I would put VH1 on. And that's how I found out about John Mayer and Amy Winehouse and Lily Allen, like, all these people. So I was, like, an early adapter to these things because it was just, like... Yeah. I was like, hey, we're playing this at 7 a.m. because, like, no one really wants to see it because no one knows about it yet. And I was like, I'm here for it. Let's do it. So I think the last time I watched like VH1 and MTV and stuff was like Jersey Shore. Oh, no. Before that, like late 90s, like sex and sex and candy. And like, I know. I know. Yeah. that, That was like my last big music video phase. So. Back to Amy. We'll talk more about our our musical taste later. (laughs) Or my Uh, lack thereof. (laughs) (laughs) So Frank did really well, and the record company wanted more. So they gave her an advance to write another album. She bought a flat, and she was living on her own. (laughs) She bought a flat. Oh, my God, leave that in. That was great. I think I sent, she bought a flat. I think that sounds right. Whatever. Okay. She bought an apartment, and she was living on her own for the first time. And it didn't go so well for a combination of reasons. Okay, reason one. Reason one, Blake Fielder Civil is his new name, but he was just Blake Fielder back then. So I like to call him just a piece of shit. Okay, Mm -hmm. all right. Well, the two met at a club. Uh, He was a scene kid. Oh, the British scene scene kids. Uh, And a video production assistant as well. They were both seeing other people at the time and neither saw it as cheating. I don't know what they did when they met at this club, but apparently they didn't see it as cheating. Mm-hmm. Blake described Winehouse as a young girl who was a bit naughty. A bit naughty. <laughs> Which is just a weird way to describe someone. They're like the same age. Like, 
Yeah, I, that's a weird way to describe somebody. Well, I feel like naughty use like that is not something we do a lot in the U.S. That it's oh, a very you know British what? like, right. like it, it's kind of like she's a bad girl. She's a little bit of a bad girl. Isn't that what naughty means here? Yeah, but it. I feel like it has a more like a playful, tone. a more playful tone, but right. also a more like in the U.S. It's more like use naughty with like I don't know. Ki- little kids are naughty. I, I think naughty. I think like kinky. Oh, maybe okay. that's like. No, I mean, listen, just me maybe I'm person. the prude. <laughs> I don't know. I'm the, I'm the prude over here, but yeah, I, I just it just has a different connotation in oh, the UK or with a British accent. Anyway, maybe may I read too much into it, but he did say she was naughty. So this situation ship, as you know, the kids call it, uh, that they have, it gets really deep really quickly. Blake is there for Winehouse physically and mentally. He encourages her to go after Thanes and work on her record. It's pretty good for a while. Yeah. I mean, they did have similar childhoods and they bonded over their crappy fathers and trauma. Uh, Winehouse describes them as twins and soulmates. She even wrote a few songs about him for the upcoming album that she had. They can be seen going on dates, spending time together. They're super public about it. This goes on for months. However, he still has this girlfriend. Seemingly, randomly, he just breaks up with her. Blake's over it. He leaves Winehouse a voicemail. A voicemail. Stating that he thinks that they should just be friends and that he wants to be loyal to his girlfriend. So he ghosts her and she just kind of falls for a little bit. I mean... Like right, Does he ghost her if he actually says we shouldn't see each other? I think any... Okay, maybe this is a whole thing. I think any communication ending a relationship that doesn't happen in person or when you're actually speaking back and forth to the person mm-hmm. is ghosting. Okay. Like he see, just to me, ghosting would be like he just never responded to anything ever and just disappeared off the face of the planet. But how is he like 100% sure she got that voicemail? Like we know she did. But, like, he had no real intention of solidifying that Oh, no, she he's chicken shit. Yeah. So maybe it's not ghosting. It's still shitty. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Winehouse sleeps with his friend, you know, like you do when As you're mad you at someone. Yeah. Um, it's sort of this sort of scorched earth plan that she has, right? She speaks about this in an interview and states, I knew it would be the nail in the coffin. I knew that when he found out, he wouldn't be able to ever talk to me again. I knew I had to do that because one of us had to finish the other one off because we just broke each other's hearts repeatedly. That's like so deep and heavy and also so toxic. Yes. No, absolutely. Like they weren't good for each other. It just they repeatedly broke each other's hearts like they weren't dating for that long. It's just very, a very heavy relationship so quickly. Hmm. So I want to go back for a second. Okay. Um, I'm talking about her dad. So we said that her dad was like, her dad and her mom were the blueprint for heartbreak. So she's seeking out relationships that are doomed from the start. Like dating a guy who's dating someone else while you're dating someone else. Like how far did you intend for that relationship to really go? She sings in that song that we talked about before, What Is It About Men? It's another line that I think works here. And it's, an animal aggression is my downfall. I don't care about what you got. I want it all. When it came to Blake, she had tunnel vision, and unfortunately, sleeping with his buddy was not the end of them. But we'll come back to that later. Okay, yeah, it's just, it's so much self-sabotage here. You yeah. know, in under the guise of sabotaging someone else, mm-hmm. you are self-sabotaging. 
Okay. So reason number two, too much freedom. When Winehouse first moved out of her mother's home, she lived with friends and she recalls that it was one of the best times of her life. You know, I mean, that seems to make sense when yeah. people move out from their parents and, and they live with roommates or friends. Like, yeah, that should be a good time. Making cookies at two in the morning, hanging out. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know me. I, you know me. I go to bed before midnight. But. When I had a roommate, <laughs> that's what we did. We would go get falafel and make cookies at two in the morning. It was mostly food based, but we had fun. But once Winehouse was on her own, she's drinking more and she's sleeping less. And with all this Blake drama going on, it's triggering the depressive episodes. Remember, she had been diagnosed with mm -hmm. depression. Living alone, she has no one to notice these changes, right? Once she moves out from her roommates and she's got her own place, no one notices this depression and no. these depressive episodes. And... So there's no one there to help her take action. It's just her, her depression, and maybe occasionally Blake would come by. So reason three, record company pressure. So the record company's all like, give us more, give us more. And Ugh. she's got total writer's block. It's a real problem for her. Who She's used to writing for herself. You know, no, no deadlines, just joy in writing, or I'm depressed and I'm writing this out. Yeah, no. you're an artist. That's what you do. But yeah. if you have, you're being forced into this turnaround time, it, the music, even if you can spit it out, is it's probably going to be less authentic. Yeah, of course. And she's not the kind of person who can just do inauthentic music. Like she threw it away before she would let anybody hear it. Yeah. So she was thrown into this creative machine and expected to produce an album that was better than her first. So Lucien Grange is the CEO of Universal Music. And he still is the CEO. Like, I was like, oh, former? No, he still is the CEO of Universal Music Group. So she, he spoke about a meeting that he had with Winehouse, in which he told her pretty plainly, enough is enough. I need another album. Now go and write one. This is horseshit. Frank was then, and this is now. They're all going to forget you. But again, we have to keep remembering that she wasn't even trying to be famous in the first no, place. No, she didn't want any of this. She didn't want any of it. She just was... He's the one worried that they're going to forget her because that's his money. Exactly. And so he speaks in the documentary and he was like, you know, we were pretty close. So he felt that like he could speak so loosely to her, but like they're pretty close for knowing each other for like two Words years. Words still affect you, you know, like... Exactly. That's mm -mm. a lot of pressure to deal with. Like, even if you're friendly with me... And you say something like that on a deadline that I need to meet, like, I'm going to feel some type of way. Yeah. So Winehouse's writing is super personal. She gave the listener a really deep view into herself. She's quoted as saying, I would never write anything unless it was personal to me, just because I wouldn't be able to get the story right because I wouldn't have done it. For someone who writes the best music when she's in pain, this demand feels like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and, and so all of this sort of hits the fan at once, right? When Winehouse is then found passed out in her apartment with a head injury. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. The apartment's a mess. Her friends are trying to put the pieces together. There's a lot of questions unanswered. Her father and a childhood friend named Juliet Ashby and her now manager, Nick Shemansky, they're all called. Shemansky is urging her to go to rehab, and Winehouse says that she will go if her dad agrees that she needs to. But he didn't. He said, no, no, no. Can you, can you hear the song building? It's coming. So the song is called Rehab. 
And that's like her big American hit. Uh huh. That song puts Winehouse on the charts here in the States. That's the song that I saw the video for while I was putting like my pantyhose on, prepared to go to like Catholic school. Catholic school. Panty- I was like, pantyhose. Pantyhose. You could not have paid me to wear pantyhose you in high school. Now, if I, I can't get into them now. That's just, it's, it's impossible. But as I was like rolling up my pantyhose, I was like, who is this girl with this beehive? I like her. It was this song. It was, um, it was rehab. So the lyrics are her story. She's not kidding. The song, if you're not familiar, which you should be, but it goes, they tried to make me go to rehab, but I said, no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, you'll know, no, no. I ain't got the time. And if my daddy thinks I'm fine, he's trying to make me go to rehab, but I won't go, go, go. So that's interesting because that is in contrast to the idea that she put before, which is I'll go if my dad says yes, but he's the one who said no. Oh, that's, he thinks she's fine. He's uh-huh. like, no, you're, you're good to go. But this song says that he tried to make me go. The he is Shemansky. Oh, okay. So he is Shemansky and she didn't have the time because the record company needs a new album like yesterday. So in an interview with the guardian, Shemansky speaks out about the song. So he says, she's written a huge hit. It's undeniably brilliant, but it was a complete mockery of our friendship and of what she needed. And the whole world's dancing along to it. And she was really writing about a decision that five years later would result in her being dead. It was really fucked up. I mean, yeah, it's fucked up, but like, wow, to say she was writing about a decision that five years, like that this decision was the thing that led to her being dead that that okay maybe yeah she would have been better off getting help but that wasn't the only chance to get her help no but he does speak that it's like the best chance so of course it wasn't the only thing that would have helped her but shemansky marks that it's a real turning point winehouse is still relatively unknown she hasn't been hounded by the press yet she could still be a regular person so if she would have gone into rehab it would have been in peace He admits that it might not have worked straight away. Lots of people fail, in air quotes, several times before they achieve a life-term recovery status. But this would have been a really good time to start. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, for sure. So she doesn't go to rehab. She goes to the estate of a friend instead, right? Mm -hmm. And she works on her album. There's no drinking or seeing people just writing and recording because... You know, that's healthy, too. One extreme to the other. Right. But she is focused. So she does get it done for her. I think it had to be she's kind of a person who lived her life in extremes. So either it was going to be extreme in the negative or extreme in the positive. But again, that rehab would have maybe helped her learn how to deal with balances. Yeah. To balance those extremes. Absolutely. I do believe that. So in that article, Shemansky talks about how I can't really listen to Amy's music anymore, unfortunately. For myself, learning what I have about her music, it is kind of hard to listen to some of the songs. Like, they're so raw and honest, and the pain is there. It's right on the surface. And, like, knowing more about her life, you can see, you can hear it in every song. And it's like, this person was going through this. Yeah. And, like, I'm listening to it, like, as I take a shower. And, like, this was someone's real life. Right, right. It's it's weird to listen to it now, but, like, her voice is so amazing. She can sing, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. And around the same time, she also suffers two losses, and although she does have one big win. First, she gets a change in management, and she splits ways with Shemansky. The only person who, in my opinion, actually cared about her as an individual, not just an artist, or even worse, just a payday. Okay, so that's 
one of the the losses. Mm -hmm. And secondly, Cynthia Winehouse, Amy's grandmother, dies of lung cancer on May 5th, 2006. Winehouse speaks of her grandmother as being a sort of sounding board and one of the only people that wasn't afraid to be completely honest with her. You know, the other one being Schmansky. Yeah, but can we talk about this loss for a minute? Like, the two people who have been the backbone in your development, personal and professional, are just gone. Yeah. Like, remember when she started working with Schemansky? She was only 16. It was during her parents' divorce where Winehouse's grandmother, like, was really there to help comfort her. These two were the rudder. <clears throat> I made a lot of nautical references. <clears throat> These two were the rudder, and she was about to go into some really choppy waters because... Well, on October 30th, 2006, Winehouse releases Back to Black in the UK. And this enters at number seven on the Billboard 200 in the US. And Rehab is the first single, and it's huge. It's everywhere. This song is definitely everywhere, right? And Winehouse is also everywhere promoting it. Suddenly, the media is very interested, and the paparazzi starts hounding her to get photos of her everyday life. You know, celebrities, they're just like us. <laughs> this is new to Winehouse, and it's quite stressful. She's caught in a bit of a storm here, and she really doesn't know how to deal with it, you know? But she sees a lifeboat. Guess who's on it? Fucking Blake Fielder. Good Lord, can uh -oh. he not just go away? No, he can't. No, he can't. You know why? Because he's a leech who only comes around when things are good. Mm -hmm. He's terrible. At this point, shit goes fast. Keep up. Blake is back in her life around November. The two are engaged by April, and they are married by May. I mean, fuck this guy. Okay, She's yeah, on, that's six months. Yeah, like, that's insanely quick. And sure, they knew each other before, but, like, it wasn't ever healthy or stable then. So no. what makes you think it's going to change now? Well, she's busy. She's on the cover of every magazine, late night talk shows. She's being nominated for award after award. And it really just seems like Blake was coming along, looking to ride some coattails into a new tax bracket. Fuck this guy. Yeah. So I couldn't find too much about what Blake was up to after he ghosted or did not ghost her. How he ended things with his girlfriend, it's frustrating that I don't know. Yeah. Like, I really want to imagine he was, like, going out full some cigarettes, be right back, love, and then just was <laughs> with Amy in New York. I can't with your British accent. I it's fucking love it. It's so good, and you're so jealous. <laughs> I am. I'm totally so jealous. jealous. Everyone knows it. So I don't have any facts to prove that he's actually a piece of shit. He was just looking to party on someone else's dime, but... Their interviews with Janice Winehouse after her daughter's death allude to this. He was looking for some handouts afterwards, saying mm -hmm. he was owed some money from the divorce settlement, which, like, he wasn't. So in one of the Amy documentaries, there is an intake counselor who speaks about Blake and saying that they noted that Blake was really resistant to Winehouse going into rehab because the party would stop, and she was footing the bill. So why would uh -huh. he want the party to stop? But I don't know how much this person really should be saying as an intake counselor. So sure, I sure. wonder how much of it is real. But it did seem that way. Like anytime they would go out, he would be buying shots for people and like buying but bottles of champagne. Like she on was him. the money. Oh no, it was on him. He was oh, paying okay. for it. Wink, wink. Nah. No. Okay. You know, absolutely. So that was absolutely it. her paying for it. 
Well, in the documentary, Amy, a mutual friend of theirs, Phil Maynell, speaks to their relationship on the day that they were married. He says of Winehouse, quote, and she was like, I just want to feel what he's feeling. I want to be on the same level. Otherwise, he's there and I'm here. In the same documentary, Blake himself speaks about introducing Winehouse to crack and heroin. He states that he used it and he enjoyed it. It completely eradicated any sort of negative feelings. So is that what she meant by feeling what he's feeling? I I think they were just, you know, trying to match energies all the time. So, Yeah. yeah. Yes. The two became regular users of the drugs and continued matching energies. Winehouse went as hard as Blake, but Blake didn't have a job or a career that was starting to be affected by drug use. I guess it's easy to, I guess it's not easy to be a drug addict ever. No, but if you let's don't have not to, say that. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't have to get up and, you know, perform or do any interviews, then yeah, it might be a little bit easier. So after a few months of heavy, heavy drug use, Winehouse ends up in the hospital, overdose. Again, her friends Shemansky and Ashby are called to her bedside. The doctors warn them that Amy came very, very close to death and would not live long if this lifestyle keeps up. Mm-hmm. If you are following, I have like a whole rule of threes. Like I think there's like yeah, a Yeah, you invented pattern. that. I didn't invent <laughs> it, but I'm a very big believer in it. Oh, okay, okay. And like there's a lot of things happening here. So like if you can guess, three more factors will come up and come into play here. Okay, what are they? So, so I call it the holy fucked up trinity. <laughs> The holy fucked up Trinity is, is having a meeting about Winehouse while she's recuperating. They're trying to set out her tour. Oh, by the way, the holy fucked up Trinity is Mitch, her dad, Ray, her new manager, and Blake. Good old. What Blake. a trio. What a trio. So Mitch, her dad, and Ray, her manager, are full steam ahead. And they're starting to plan the U.S. tour. But Winehouse is in no shape for this. No, clearly. Yeah. And so in an interview, Ray, you know, he says, ah, I was just doing my job. It was my job to promote the album. And that's what the tour does. So the responsibility for all other things are on her family. Cool guy. Real cool. That's like, I don't know. That's like when parents and teachers are each like, it's your responsibility mm-hmm. to do this with my kid. And it's like, well, no, it's a community effort. And we yeah. need to be in conversation with it one takes, another. It takes a village. <laughs> It takes a bloody village. Yeah. So, like, I get, I get Ray. I get him. Like, I understand that uh, you're supposed to keep your, you know, relationship professional. He's but you should have picked up on stuff like this. Exactly. So, if this, if this was someone's well-being, and if you're not just looking as at your artist as a paycheck, then why wouldn't their best interest be in your best interest? You should yeah. be trying to keep them happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. So the third factor, which I mentioned already, was Blake, against the advice of her friends, who were staying with her to help, her dad lets Blake see Winehouse. So she's under the care of a physician, personal doctors coming in every day doing, like, blood work and, like, checking her vitals and all that stuff. So he's also doing drug tests every day. She's passing all these tests, negative, 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 until after the visit with Blake, where she tests positive for heroin. Good old Blake. Good old Blake. Her friends, Shemansky and her mother, were all instrumental in getting the tour canceled, citing exhaustion as the reason. So we do get this canceled, you know, even Ray, I'm just doing my job kind Mm -hmm. of thing, gets overruled. Yeah. Winehouse and Blake go into rehab together. Fun. Such a good idea. Such a good idea. 
They go to the Causeway Retreat on Osea Island in the UK, which was um, later shut down. It seems like it was more of a $10,000 a week dream retreat on some remote island, and it's now under criminal prosecution for wrongdoing. So, dun, dun, dun. good times. Blake doesn't take it seriously. Shocker. Yeah. So we know this because one of the videos that he took in rehab, because again, shocker, because of course he's taking videos in rehab for for them to show like their kids later. Like why? Why? Why on earth? Why is he even able to have the technology to do this? Because it's not a real rehab. Okay. If right. it was a real I forgot. rehab. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, why would you think, you know, of course. <laughs> So these are all on YouTube. You can watch them, but like no, they're don't. painful. To, I, don't. I don't know who gets the money from it, so don't watch them, actually. I yeah. don't know. They're sad. But in one of them, Blake is ranting about being so bored, and he's caged like an animal. And Winehouse We are is, covering someone who's not British next time, please. <laughs> only British people from now on. So I could do talk like this. I don't know. It's getting worse. Um, Blake's all... Anna Cage, really mad about it, just bored, wishing he was anywhere else. And Amy's like quietly in the corner and she's just like, actually don't mind it. Because for the one time she could just be by herself and rest and no one was asking her for anything, you know? She didn't have all those demands on her, Mm -hmm. except the demands that were beneficial to herself and her own well-being. So it's time to get back to... Terrible, terrible business. And three days after they injured rehab, they left. Photos were taken of them leaving a hotel, bloodied and bruised. What? Yeah, they got into a fight in the hotel. And it's... The pictures are really hard to see. Like, she's got his ballet flats on. And there's, like, blood on them. He's got scratches on his neck. That's so scary. When asked about the incident after her death, her manager, Ray, speaks of the hold that Blake had over Winehouse. He stated that she couldn't keep up with him and the drugs. She loved him, and she and she knew that the love was going to kill her. Ray shrugged it off, but it sounds like this was a cry for help that was ignored. Yeah, yeah, for sure. By January 24th, 2008, Winehouse checks into rehab again after the police raid her and Blake's home and find a whole bunch of drugs. Remember the recording that we said Blake took? So these are leaked in this investigation. Along with photos of Winehouse smoking a suspicious looking pipe. It was a crack pipe. Mm -hmm. Seeing that things are not sorting themselves out and the Grammys are approaching, she is nominated for six awards. The record company steps in and makes Winehouse sign a contract promising that she will be clean or they will not make any more records with her. She signs and off to rehab she goes. So... It, it kind of feels like they're just trying to protect their investment at it this does. point. It does. It really does. Like, she, in their eyes, she had cost them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. By canceling by can- the tour. Yeah. And and so it's just business to them. She's just like a, a piece of business, right? Mm-hmm. But it's what she needed. She needed this rehab because she did it to get herself clean, right? She performed via satellite at the Grammys, and one which... Now today with like Zoom and everything like that Mm -hmm. would just be pretty normal. Right. Yeah. And she won five awards, including album of the year for Back to Black. So for Back to Black, Tony Bennett and I don't remember who presented it with him, but Tony Bennett presents her with the award and the look on her face when Tony Bennett says, says her name, giving her the award is so magical 
And it really will give you a deeper understanding into her music. It's on YouTube. So it's like YouTube it. So if you that search. One, that one's safe to watch. That one's safe to watch. You should watch it over and over again. Um, Amy Winehouse wins album of the year Grammy. So the look of shock on her face is so telling. Her parents are so proud. The crowd is cheering her name. She looks healthy. It's honestly amazing. And I'm going to stop because I watched it so many times and teared up a little bit. Like it's, it's really great. But you're seeing that this is coming with her being in rehab and mm-hmm. having this, like she's clean and good things are happening. Mm-hmm. She's seeing this come together. Now, during all of this time, Blake is in jail, right? He was sentenced to 27 months after he was found guilty of assault and attempted bribery. Hmm. What he's, a classy individual. He's such a top-notch fella. Top-notch. <laughs> Winehouse resumes touring and sadly drinking. The media and the paparazzi are now in a feeding frenzy. Who can get the best worst photo of her? Oh, they tried. Mm. They follow day and night and yell things to get a rise out of her. Most of the time she delivers by yelling back, thrashing out, or fighting them. She sort of becomes fodder for late night comedians. You know, the same people who had her on as a musical guest are now making fun of her for her weight and her drug use, etc. Because at this point, she is real thin. And this comes from a combination of drinking and, I guess, bulimia as well. Yeah. A lot of the late night people, and again, we'll talk about Jay Leno. He was a big person where he would be like, hey, come on my show. It's awesome. Kiss, kiss in the air. And then the next day when they did something the media didn't like, he had all the jokes. And he had so many terrible jokes about her. I don't feel comfortable repeating them, much like the Monica Lewinsky ones. I don't know if he wrote his own stuff or what was going on with him. But, like, I just just don't like him in a retrospect. No. At all. I I should look up if there are more reasons why I shouldn't like Jay Leno. I'm I'm sure sure there there are plenty. I'm sure there are. Winehouse escapes to St. Lucia with some childhood friends. The drugs stop. There are no cameras. There's no Blake. She's drinking to make up for the lack of drugs. But her friends say that this is the best they've seen her in a long while. Away from the pressures and the media in London, this lasts about six weeks. Until her dad shows up with a camera crew for a show he's filming called My Daughter Amy. Are you serious? I'm absolutely serious. Are you serious right now? Yes. So she didn't want to be on camera. She didn't want this. She told him. She was excited to have her father there because they haven't spent time together just alone in a while. But he came with the camera crew and he was insistent on the camera crew covering everything. So they were a package deal and she had to deal with it. And it's in the documentary. She looks visibly uncomfortable and she's kind of snarky about it, you know, but he insisted that they be there. I don't know where that show ended up or maybe if it's on a cutting room floor somewhere. I hope so. Probably. I just wonder how much he got paid to kind of sell his daughter down the river. So Blake, he was in jail. Somehow sees a photo of, of Winehouse and another man at the beach. Falls for divorce. He He's too good for this. He's not going to sit around while he gets cheated on, which, like, I don't know how he saw that photo in jail. What's going on there? I don't know. Yeah. But the world finds out a little bit later that he got some woman pregnant during a fling he had while he was in rehab. But, you know, Winehouse's betrayal of, of hugging another man on camera is, is way worse than, you well, know, whole Obviously, life. you have to turn the blame to the woman. Of course. Everyone knows. That's why they have such big reputations. <laughs> <laughs> Once Winehouse is back in London, she dives into her work and her lawyers dive into divorce proceedings. We're still... Really heavy with these water bottles. I don't know why everything's so nautical, but I'm not going to apologize for it. 
Winehouse is still drinking heavily, but she is able to function during some pretty high-profile gigs. She records a song with Tony Bennett, which is a beautiful song. Yeah. And sings at Nelson Mandela's 90th birthday party. Wow. And she looks pretty healthy doing this. She even started a jazz project with Questlove. And she's looking to the future music-wise at this point and, and seems to be doing pretty well overall. But who knows? That could just be a front. Yeah. The record company and her management, seizing on this window of productivity, schedules a European Back in Black tour. The issue is, Winehouse has moved on from that album. She doesn't want to sing songs about her ex-husband. Bringing up trauma and pain in front of a sold-out crowd every night is only bringing up more trauma and pain for her. She states that she would rather be working on a new album, and she tells them a tour is off the table. Could you imagine having to, like, relive your worst year every night while people are cheering for it? That's – it's so bizarre. It's, like, the whole – Surreal. If you think about, like, the music industry in that way, it's super bizarre. But you have to remember her manager, Ray, used to be her concert promoter. So he's doing what he knows will make money. Damn the consequences. Yeah. Big mistake. Big. Huge. Huge. Amy, once again, grabs on to the things that she can control. Her weight and her sobriety. She starts drinking heavier than usual. It could be to numb herself before she goes on tour or as a warning flare to cancel the tour altogether. Probably a bit of both, right? Yeah. I mean, those, those kind of things are cries for help, usually. Yeah. She's saying, I don't want to do this, and no one's listening to her. So it's like, I'm getting out of this some way. Now, on June 2nd, 2011, Winehouse checks out of the Priori Clinic, which is a mental health care facility in the UK, just a few days after checking in. The record company and her dad say, oh, she's fine. She doesn't need to go to rehab. No, no, no. She comes home and promptly starts drinking again. So on the night of June 17th, she's home in Camden Town, London. She gets drunk. She passes out. She wakes up on a fucking private jet on its way to the first stop of the tour in Belgrade. How? She's not even wearing shoes. No, there's so many things wrong with that. They so had many. her bodyguard pick her up and put her on a plane. So the decision was made by Mitch and Ray. They said if the contracts were signed and the tour was booked, there was nothing that they could do. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So let's just like lay a comatose Amy out on the stage because there's nothing we can do. If if you can not do that, you yeah. cannot put her on a plane passed out. That's like low-key kidnapping. Uh, yeah. That might be high-key kidnapping, I'm actually. not sure, but like, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the night of the show... Her band members are, like, adamant that Amy is said a bunch of times over that she's not performing, she didn't want to perform, and that she straight up wasn't going to perform. But they push her out on stage anyway, and the performance is so hard to watch. It's terrible. So she's visibly drunk. She's stumbling. She's slurring the words. She ultimately just stops singing and just kind of, like, starts to hug herself and, like, talk to her bandmates, to which the crowd responds with, Sing, bitch. Or my other favorite, sing or give me my money back. Which, like, I really hate people. I, I really get just. It. I why was, are they the worst? Because, like, you paid for an experience. But still, but, you can tell there's something wrong with yes. her. You take it out with the venue or yeah. you take it out with the. But you don't start. Like, 
this woman is clearly having some sort of breakdown mm-hmm. on the stage. Now is not the time. Yeah. It's it's definitely not okay. I will pause because one time I did see an artist who was fucked up. I went to go see Lily Allen, another British singer, and she was an hour and a half late and didn't remember the words and was stumbling and it was really bad. And we were – it was like a general admission thing, so we had like pushed our way to the very front. So we were like up close and personal for this like mess that she was and it was really bad and I remember just being like, oh, poor girl. Should right, we go? I I mean, and everyone was just kind of like either laughing or was feeling sad the way I was. I don't know if it was just like a New York crowd, but we weren't – we were more sympathetic than, fuck you, bitch, give me my money back because she made her way through it. But like it was really bad. And then like two weeks later she went into rehab and we were all like, oh, thank God. Okay. So I don't get – screaming sing bitch at someone i don't get demanding your money back from the artist when like they are visibly not okay mm-hmm. i don't know if it was it was a much bigger crowd so maybe it was like mob mentality happening but she eventually gets booed off the stage and the tour is canceled well that's what she wanted that's right? what she's low-key thrilled about it she gets to go home she gets to focus on recovery and more importantly she gets to write a new album which is what she wanted from the beginning mm-hmm When she gets back, she contacts her childhood friend, Juliet Ashby, and tries to start fresh. She apologizes for all the years of heartache and makes plans for them to see one another. Winehouse also plans to go to Shemansky's wedding on July 24th. She's reached out to him as well to express her excitement for his wedding. She's really looking forward to seeing that part of her family, because he is like family to her. Yeah, she's known him since she was 16. Like, they grew up together. She calls him Nikki. Mm Mm-hmm. So on July 23rd, 2011. So that's the day before Shemansky's wedding. That's the day before the wedding. Yeah. That's the day that her body was found. So she was found dead in her London home. She died of alcohol poisoning after binge drinking following a period of abstinence. So they said she had a blood alcohol level of 0.416, a.k.a. five times the legal limit for driving. Wow. Like. I wonder how many bottles that is. Yeah. Like, how do you get all of that into your – and she's a tiny thing. Right. Right. Well, that that would do it. Like, you might not even need as a high quantity maybe if – True. I don't don't know. So her brother, who, like, never really speaks out, Alex Winehouse, he said that her severe bulimia had weakened her heart years ago. He did an interview with The Observer magazine. He said that his sister's long battle with bulimia had left her weaker and more susceptible – so after her death, you know, we we see this sort of like weird joining of ranks for Winehouse, right? She's part of this so-called 27 club. Which is weird. Do you know about this? I, I It's like not all these much. artists who have I, died at the age of 27, which yeah. like Jimi Hendrix is a part of it. And I thought he was much older. I, I guess not. I yeah. mean, Jim Morrison's also a part of it. Janis Joplin. Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones and Kurt Cobain. Oh, Kurt Cobain. Unlike Kurt Cobain, Winehouse's legacy will forever be tainted. Cobain was renowned as a tortured genius who felt the music so hard that he got lost in it. But on the flip side, Winehouse was just a train wreck, right? She was a drunken mess whose music was still good despite her being such a mess. The media had made the case that Cobain's addictions and mental disorders were helping him. It helped him be great. It made his music what it was. 
It was amazing that he could still make music while dealing with these factors. He was brave and she was crazy. What's that about? I don't know, maybe some good old-fashioned sexism and misogyny? Mm -hmm. There it is. So her family, after her death, had gone on to use her her legacy for projects, or at least offering them, right? They even attempted to have this hologram tour that was planned, but thankfully was canceled back in 2019. Interesting. Hologram concerts could be the thing. <laughs> I don't think so, because I think they're fucking creepy. And oh, I, I think they're like super creepy. Other but... people would be like, that's a little disrespectful. This person, especially for someone like Amy Winehouse, yeah. she's let her rest. Mm-hmm. You know, like now you just have like her ghost on stage crooning, making money for people. Like that's what she was doing while she was alive. Like, I And feel it's like what it's... she didn't want to do in exactly. the first place. And just to keep singing the old songs over and over again, like... That feels like some, like, supernatural, like, cycle breaking that needs to happen there. It feels like a haunted ghost situation. They also sold the rights for her biopic, which was slated to start shooting in 2020. There's really no word on the status of that. Uh, Maybe we can thank COVID for something. Yeah. Because I feel like her family shouldn't be the one to no. be doing this. Like, I'm not saying there shouldn't be I a would, biopic, but... Yeah. I would. Abs- I love biopics. I'd absolutely watch it. But I don't think her family should be in charge of it. Gotcha. They also both produced and starred in that documentary that I was talking about called Reclaiming Amy, which, like I said, seems to skip over a lot of things. And it definitely comes off as, this was not my fault. They also run the Amy Winehouse Foundation to register charity in England and Wales. They provide assistance for drug and alcohol addiction, mental and mental health issues. They I, seem I, to be doing a lot of good with that. Okay, so. you know, I I think that's okay. And and yeah. again, her father seems to be the big uh, pusher. Yeah. In this family, so maybe it's not a problem. Like all family members aren't necessarily problematic. The no. brother in particular seemed yeah, like... Yeah, her brother is, like, really shy to stay away from the spotlight. That was the only interview that he ever did. And her mom seems, you know... Just a Pretty chill. Over. She just seems like she wanted to kind of make Amy not look as lost okay. as the Amy documentary did. But I feel like she was a bit lost. So I think the Amy documentary did a, a pretty good job at representing the story. I think her dad is... Uh, was trying to be famous by proxy mm-hmm. and you know he's trying to sell on her name a little bit because he's also a musician okay let's let's talk about the impact that amy winehouse has had on the world up till today so i think the mental health conversation under the 2021 lens versus the 2011 lens would be very very different Like, I know our conversation has been a lot about, you know, who did what and who didn't do what. But at the root of Amy's issues was Amy. She was an addict. She had unchecked disorders. And if the conversation about mental health would have actually happened, I wonder if the outcome would have been different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in 2011, the media wasn't very compassionate. I'm not even sure they're compassionate right now. Definitely not. No. However, the headlines that ran back then would have definitely sprouted a lot of backlash rage tweets for sure yeah they would not have been allowed like people would have been canceled things would have been shut down there's no way thinking about how someone should have advocated for amy winehouse's health makes me think of our sports stars who have recently come out like simone biles and naomi osaka 
though they are sports stars, them being able to say, no, I need a break was amazing. Yes. We need more of these women to say that, hey, I'm not just a robot here to entertain you. Like health is important, but holistic health includes mental health. It's becoming way more important and way in the front line as as we move further into the future. And and I will keep fighting whoever we need to fight on Facebook about that. <laughs> oh, you did get into a big fight about oh, that. Oh, yes. I forgot. <laughs> no names being dropped here. That's no. not fair. But like, yes, but that yeah. was, there was I, someone, I had feelings about that. There was some someone questioning, you know, Simone Biles' uh, right to quit. Yeah. As if she's not a whole person who trains like, 10, 12 hours a day. And, and can't make her own would decisions. not have wanted to do this. Yeah. It wasn't for nothing. Yeah. Anyway. The body shaming would not have been allowed now either, oh, right? Oh, no. Mm-mm. Body positivity movement, you know, whatever that means to you, yeah. would have recognized a clear eating disorder and the jokes would not have been allowed or at least there would have been pushback on the jokes mm. that were made. So even when they were talking about Amy, it was it was really weird. So they would be like... She's real thin. She's skin and bones. And then I found an article, and it was titled, Time for New Jeans. Amy Winehouse can't fight the muffin top in her two small denims. After making fun of her for being so thin, she gains a little bit of weight, and now you're making fun of her for being fat. Like, make up your mind. No. (sighs) Like, it doesn't make any sense. All right, so what do, what do we take away from this then? I think my takeaway was just more about the media. Like, I find it odd but not surprising that after somebody dies, the media takes time to self-reflect. All the photos of Winehouse in the media that were used while she was alive were terrible. Like, her lowest point, she's skin and bones or visibly drunk or there's makeup smeared. It wasn't about showing her in her current state. These photos were used to demonize her and write her off as just another junkie. A Rolling Stone article featured the following. This past year, Amy Winehouse, 24, has gone from being one of Pop's music's ascending and celebrated talents to a tragic calm train wreck of epic proportions. The reporter wrote this while sitting on Amy Winehouse's sofa at 4 a.m. Okay. Like, she knocked on the door. Amy let her in. And was like, okay, I'll do your interview for Rolling Stone. At 4 a.m. At 4 a.m. And then she wrote this, like, crap about her. Wow. So the media has never been compassionate. No. But once Winehouse died, oh, all the pictures were so nice and glossy. And when she was looking her best. When the album Frank came out, that's when she was still a little bit curvy. You know, her hair was a slight beehive, but not must or anything. She was looking her best. I guess it's the idea that you can't speak ill of the dead, right? It's not respectful. But honestly, treat me like a dead person. Be always respectful. It doesn't make sense that they would wait until she was gone to then be respectful and treat her with any kind of compassion. Yeah, I think it really ties into making money, unfortunately. It made money for them to talk shit about her. And then when she was gone, they knew that the only way that it would continue to make money for them is to speak well of her. Mm -hmm. And that's fucked up. I don't know. I think you need to give people their roses while they're still here. It might have done a world of change to see more positive stories about herself in the media than all the negative ones that they push towards. So what really stood out for me was the sexism and misogyny. It is Mm. rampant. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, especially when you mentioned Kurt Cobain and how he was treated after his death. 
right? As a woman, Winehouse is given so much less of an opportunity for redemption, Mm -hmm. especially while she was living. Like you said, after she died, then sure. Mm -hmm. The power dynamic in so much of her career demonstrates that she was not in control of her situation, not just as an addict, but in everything, right? In the tour that they wanted her to go on, in Mm -hmm. the fact that they were trying to force her to sing old songs when she wanted to work on new ones, right? She didn't have this control. You know, waking up on a flight to head to a tour, like, what? Yeah, that's insane. The fact that these men decide what she was going to do and when and how disgusts me. Mm -hmm. I I was infuriated learning about that. I wonder what it would have been like if she had a female manager ever. Yeah, we need more about that. Do they even have female managers? Is that a thing? Are women allowed to do that yet? I mean, they're quote unquote allowed, but how many of them are able to break through in the industry in that True. way? I mean, that's that's worth some research. Absolutely. All Off right. to Google. <laughs> <laughs> but let's share a couple of the resources and references that we used. Now, you mentioned at the beginning the documentaries that mm-hmm. you looked at, yeah. but there were a few articles as well. So let's give a couple articles that people can look for if they want more information. So that Rolling Stone article I was talking about is called Up All Night with Amy Winehouse. It's by Claire Hoffman. And then there's another one called Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, and the Gendering of Martyrdom. And that's by Molly Bucheum. And that sure. one's for Pitchfork Magazine. We also have Chasing Amy, Amy Winehouse's Life and Death in the Media Glare by Christine Estima, and that was for Bitch Media. So check out any of those for some more information on Amy Winehouse's situation. What did you think of the episode? Share your thoughts with us. Do you have any suggestions for women we should cover or any takes on the women we've covered so far? Should I do more British accents? Should I do Scottish? (laughs) Please let me know. The answer is no. <laughs> you, I'll, I'll give the people what they I, want. I read the email. There's no the email. email. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and on Instagram at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at Big Reputations Pod at gmail.com. We'd love to include your thoughts in a future episode. Subscribe to us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, all your mates. Leave us a five-star review. Please, even look past the accent and leave the five-star. Oh, you know, if the accent is what makes it five stars to you, just give us those five stars. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll accept it. I'll ask for it not to happen again. No, it will happen again. It probably, anytime we do someone British, it's going to happen. I'm sorry. Right. I'm not sorry. You're going to work on your accent, so. This will be how I work on it. This will be my, my writer's room, if you will. All right. Well, until next time. There is no point in saying anything but the truth. And as always, believe women. Believe women.